We've been in a series where we've come to meet Jesus, to learn from Jesus, in order that we might believe and trust in Jesus. And that's my desire and my prayer, is that our trust and our belief in Jesus would only continue to grow as we seek to understand what he has to say and to discern what he has done for us. And so uh, today we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. We're going to go through verse 59. And if you would, would you bow for a moment of prayer? Father God, we just come before you and we ask for your blessing on our time this morning. We're going to learn about what it means to be free. And so, Lord, I pray that we would listen to what you have to say. You are the great liberator of your people. And we pray, Lord, that we might know the truth and that that truth will set us free. I pray for freedom for my friends and my dear church here this morning. I pray for freedom myself, Lord, that I would abide in your word and keep your word so I might experience that freedom that you are offering us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, is where we pick up from last week, and Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is celebrating the festival of the booths or tabernacles, and he has used different moments, different activities during this celebration uh, to draw out teaching. He talked about that he was the living water as a priest would go and take water during the festival of the booths and pour it on the altar. He said, come to me and you'll never thirst again. Then in the evening of the last uh, night of the uh, festival, they would light torches and be reminded that the God who led them in the wilderness, and Jesus would say, like those torches, and even in greater ways, I am the light of the world. But this celebration that was going on, this festival, uh, to put into your mind what they were celebrating during this week-long event was their independence. They were celebrating what it was to no longer be slaves in Egypt. And they were thanking God and praising God for meeting them and providing for them and caring for them amidst the great exodus out of slavery and into the promised land. And it is on that theme that Jesus utters the words that I want to serve as our rudder this morning as we watch Jesus engage with yet another group of people that what Jesus is wanting to teach them and us today is that in him you and I can find real freedom. Now freedom is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To kids, freedom is being an adult, not being told what to do, when to go to bed, or uh, what games they can play. For a teenager, freedom is keys and a driver's license to be able to go with their friends where they want to go. For a mom, freedom's a babysitter or a non-deadbeat dad to watch the kids for them to get away for a couple hours. For employees, freedom is the weekend away from work and all of its demands. For a teacher, freedom is summer break. No classes, no students. For a prisoner, freedom is saying goodbye to the jail cell and hello to opportunity. You see, we live in a world that we long for freedom. And what Jesus is gonna say today is that true and real freedom can be found in him. 
But we need to recognize the kind of freedom that Jesus is speaking about in our text this morning. And what we need to recognize is as Americans, we hold freedom in such high regard. Our country was founded on freedom. The revolutionaries who fought against the tyranny of Great Britain had a motto that said, don't tread on me. In other words, don't tread on my freedom. And if you do, you will feel the full brunt of my defense because my freedom is so important. It is so part and parcel to my existence that I will fight tooth and nail to keep the freedom that I have. And so it seems odd that we would talk about Jesus telling us, a group of freed people, how to find freedom. But I'm here to tell you that was the same argument of the Jewish people. In fact, they said, why are you talking about freedom in our text? We've, known, we've never been enslaved. And it would be easy for us as Americans to say, we've never been enslaved. So why would we turn to Jesus to find freedom? We have that in our Constitution. We have that in our Bill of Rights. We have that in our Declaration of Independence. But I want you to see this morning that the freedom that Jesus is talking about transcends all of the freedoms. It transcends freedoms. And, and I will say this, and I believe it now in the third service more than I did even in the first service, how badly we as a people need to hear it. Because that's what I heard from those exiting today. I needed that. I did not know how much I was in bondage. And so in this third service, my hope and my prayer is that you would listen to the word of God this morning and in doing so that you and I might find the freedom we're looking for. So let's define freedom first of all. Let's define what it isn't. What it isn't is physical freedom. And what I mean by that is here in America, we enjoy the freedom to live our lives, to have jobs, to make money, uh, to go where we want, to worship whom we desire, to raise our kids. We have freedom across the board. What Jesus isn't talking about is political freedom. That is so far less than what Jesus is talking about this morning. And let's face it, we've got the most freedom of any people here on earth, and yet we are in bondage. Let's talk about financial freedom. We are the richest people in the world. We have the ability to make and spend money. We can bemoan and, and we can uh, criticize the issue of taxes. But let's face it, the majority of the money we make is able to be spent how we want. We can spend our money on homes, on cars, on clothing, on technology. We can waste our money. We can save our money. We can invest our money. We can give our money away. We are financially free and yet... There are a great many people in financial bondage. Let's talk sexually. We live in a day where when it comes to the sexual nature, we can do what we want, when we want, how we want. We can love any way we desire. We can marry, divorce, remarry without any government retribution. We can sleep who with we want. We can do whatever we want in that arena. It is no holds bar. We are as free in that arena as we've ever been as a society. And yet, I can't tell you how many people are sexually in bondage. 
How about emotionally? Emotionally. We've been given by our founding fathers the, the right, the privilege, the liberty to be happy. But very few of us are. We're anxious, we're depressed, we're burdened, we're angry, we're hopeless. So in a world of emotional freedom, we find ourselves in bondage. So if it's not those things that Jesus is talking about, what is he talking about? The answer is spiritual freedom. And before you think that when I equate spiritual freedom and I set it aside, that in essence it becomes one of the silos of these different freedoms. No, my friends, it is the overarching freedom that brings, as it trickles down, freedom to all the things I just spoke about. That is, you want emotional freedom, you want sexual freedom, you want financial freedom, you want relational freedom, you want political freedom. All of that funnels itself down first and foremost by finding spiritual freedom in Christ. Because once we come to a place that we know we are free by our heavenly Father, that he has set us free, then we are, in fact, in all those other ways, free indeed. So let's define some terms this morning. First of all, what is spiritual freedom? I scoured for passages and places where I could find a definition of spiritual freedom, especially in line with what we are learning in our text today, and I I struggled. And so instead of sitting there just going on searching, looking for exactly what I was looking for, it, it came to me that maybe I just need to write a definition and help us to understand what God and Christ is talking about. And I came up with this, spiritual freedom is finding your identity in Christ. It is trading your sin and guilt for his forgiveness and grace. It is trading the lies of the devil, this world, and our flesh for the truth of God's word. It is the trading of your flawed perspective regarding the events and emotions of life for God's flawless perspective. It is the trading of your constant struggle of life for the abundant life that only God can give. Now this freedom enables us to be who we are truly created to be. Spiritual freedom means I'm a recipient of God's love. And spiritual freedom allows me to experience that love in greater measure. And then, in turn, I'm now free to love my heavenly Father and others as Christ did. This freedom allows me to experience the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, peace, patience, kindness, and all the other ones that come in ever-growing quantity, which means more of it, and quality means better fruit of it, which brings me great hope and security both in this life and the one to come. So that's what God longs for us. Let's flip back a slide real quick for me. What God longs for us is to trade our sin and our guilt for forgiveness and grace, to trade the lies of the devil, the word and the flesh for the truth of God's word and to trade our flawed perspective to get God's flawless perspective. What it is is trading our struggle for abundance. Have you experienced that freedom? Are you experiencing 
that freedom. And I want you to dig down and I want you to ask this morning, am I truly free? I love what Dr. Tony Evans says in his book, Free at Last. He puts it this way. When he says, God is saying to us all, bring me your pain, your depression, your guilt, your failure, your discouragement, your anxiety, your addictions. Bring me your broken homes, your rebellious children, and your messed up marriages. Bring me your sin and your circumstances from every ocean or continent of your existence. It means go as far as you have to, to the very depths and the very breath of who you are. Go to that and make sure you've touched it because God, he is calling his people to break the chains of tyranny. And here's why. Because bondage to sin Bondage to the things that we struggle with is totally incongruous. That is, it's inconsistent or incompatible with our life in Christ. The one who said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if therefore the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So therefore, flip the slide, by freedom, Tony Evans says, I mean being free from anyone or anything other than Christ that is controlling your life. Free from the need to pop that pill, take that drink, look at that pornography, buy that lottery ticket, or do anything else to deaden the pain of a life held in spiritual bondage. Now, I want you to know, before we move to the last statement, that that is impossible for you and I to do. You and I will never accomplish that on our own. And that's why I love what he says. It's a tall order, amen. If you have ever been in bondage, then you know, and I've experienced this myself, when I have fallen to the lies of the devil, that it is at times seemingly impossible for me to get out. And that's why we fall to the feet of Jesus. Because it is the only way that it's gonna be taken care of. Why? It's a tall order, which is is why only God can do it. So we turn to Jesus And we say, we who are slaves to sin, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a slave to sin. Well, that's what this group of people said. We're not enslaved to anything. And he says, if you practice sin, you are a slave to sin. And so let me just, let's just do some slavery, if you will, inventory. Did you sin last week? How about last month? How about last year? If you say affirming yes, and you're a slave to sin. If you say no, then let me just tell you something, you don't need Jesus. If you can say that today, you don't need what I'm gonna tell you, and you don't need what God's gonna tell you, and I just say good luck on the day of judgment. But I'm going to assume, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all have sinned, therefore all of us, man, woman, child, old and young, rich and poor, religious or not, all of us are slaves to sin. So if we are slaves to sin, we're in bondage, and Jesus is coming, and he's rattling the keys and saying, I can set you free. I can release you from your jail cell. I can release you from your prison. But to do so means to give your life to me. So, how do we go about doing it? Jesus has said in the last chapter, chapter seven, that he is living water. In chapter eight, he has said he is the light of the world. And now, at the end of chapter eight, he says, I am true freedom. 
So how do we get that true freedom? The first one is gonna be so elementary, but as you begin to see it flesh itself out in the text, you'll be like, well, that totally makes sense. So how do we go about finding freedom this morning? Number one, we follow Christ as our savior. Well, duh. Of course that's the case, but what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Let's get into the text, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews, not the Pharisees, not the chief priests, not the religious leader, to the Jews who had believed in him. Go back a verse to verse 30. And he was saying the, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to those who believed in him, The following, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stop there. Jesus has had a group of people that while he was arguing and debating with the Pharisees, a group of individuals started to say, hey, I like what Jesus is saying. He's making sense. And Jesus now turns his attention to talk to these, what John says are believers. And we need to be careful how we use the phrase believers and how they may have used the phrase believers. Because if we say, okay, they were believers, they're Christians, then what transpires is the craziest, wackiest, weirdest new believers class in human history. Because here's how Jesus starts. All right, all of you, welcome to the new Christian class. Uh, let me uh, tell you a little bit uh, about yourself. First of all, you're not, you shouldn't be assured of any salvation. Well, why, Jesus? Because I'm going to add in, in, in verse 31, I'm going to add the conditional clause of if. Wait a minute, I thought we were in. No, nope. if you do some things, you're, you're in. And, and by the way, in verse 44... You're children of the devil. And, and, and in verse 43, you guys can't even listen to my word. You can't bear it. And by the way, in verse 47, you're not of God. And by the way, in verse 55, y'all are a bunch of liars. And this is how Jesus goes about bringing people into fellowship, these new quote-unquote believers. Well, maybe Jesus got them wrong. Maybe He was misreading the group. No, the answer is he's not because notice in verse 41, the new believers, and let's put them into quotations, the new believers, their first response to Jesus that when they get pressed on something, in verse 41, they call Jesus' mom Mary a whore. They say, well, at least we weren't born to sexual immorality and, and the whole thing. And listen, he's probably, these aren't the first people to say that, but he's saying that whole virgin birth thing, what, what a crock. What it was is your mom was promiscuous. She doesn't know who the dad is and they came up with this God story and nobody's buying it but you. And so this new group of believers say, your mom, she was a promiscuous lady. And let me tell you something, you bring my mom into a discussion, I'm gonna get angry. So Jesus, and he doesn't like what he's hearing. And then uh, that doesn't work. So in verse 48, they say, hey, you're a Samaritan. I mean, that's really calling someone out in Jesus' day. That's the worst thing you could call a Jewish man, a Samaritan. And then they do the the unthinkable. They say to the Son of God in verse 48, you're demon-possessed. The devil's inside of you. And then they say, listen, you're no greater, in fact, you're lesser than Abraham and the prophets, even though you say you, before Abraham, you were, or I am. 
and they don't believe he's eternal. They mock that he could live forever in verse 57. And then when the class finishes up, they pick up rocks in verse 59 to stone him. Do you see this is a weird new believers class? Can you amen that at least this morning, church? It's kind of crazy. And so what we have is, and I'm going to say this, is a group of people that went halfway with Jesus but didn't go the full 100 yards. They stopped, and like many in our culture, they like certain things about Jesus, but when the rubber meets the road, they back off, and they don't just back off and get quiet, they back off and they get angry. Wait a minute. If that's what you mean it means to follow you, I want nothing to do with it. Now, what does that have to do with freedom? What it has to do with is, listen, unless you take all of Jesus, you will never experience all the freedom you're looking for. Let me say that again. Unless you're willing to take all of Jesus, you will never experience all of the freedom that you're looking for. And some of us have Jesus kind of as our co-pilot. We've got Jesus kind of over here. I like what Jesus has to say about this and this and this. And why is it that I'm not experiencing freedom in these areas? Well, you've only gone halfway with Jesus, so you're experiencing this quasi-half freedom that's really no freedom at all. And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says to this group of people who believe, who, who give tacit approval to the things of Jesus, he gives a condition. And it's a condition that it would be wise for each of us as professors of Christ to ask. Notice in verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly, not superficially, not falsely, truly my disciples. So to experience freedom, to experience Christ, means we have to follow him. We have to abide in him. Now, this word follow, for, for some of you, it, you see it right away. You're on Twitter and you know what it means to follow someone. I'm on Twitter and I follow hundreds of people. And what following on Twitter is, is when someone says something, I receive it. That is, it comes on my feed. I can read it. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to do anything with it. I can scroll right by it, but it's there. And some of us are approaching Jesus that he's there. I can take or leave what he says. I don't have to tell anybody about it. I don't have to change my life. But but there's features within Twitter. I can take what someone has said and I can hit the little heart button and say, I really like that. I like that a lot. I can also retweet. That is, I can take someone, what someone I'm following has said, and I can share it with others. Can can I just tell you this morning, I think uh, there's far too many of us, and maybe even in this place, who follow Jesus like they follow people on Twitter. You, you can take or leave what he says, but you're glad he's there. You want him in the news feed. You want him with all the other stuff. So he's there. But if you like what he says, you can give a heart to that, but you don't have to. And if you want to, maybe you'll share a little something to someone else about what he has said. 
When Jesus says, I want you to follow me, you have to understand who is he talking to. It says, you should underline this in your Bible, it would be incredibly helpful, to the Jews. What did the Jews know about following? Well, if you hearken back to the first part of the gospel, you know that Jesus said, come and follow me. Who's he saying that to? To his disciples. Who is he? He's a rabbi. And so to follow someone in the Jewish setting was Jesus is a rabbi, and he's calling students, learners, to follow him. And we see in Jesus' response to the disciples, I'm sorry, the disciples' response to Jesus, that they leave everything and they follow him. So what Jesus is saying is, is if you are going to truly be a disciple, you are going to follow me. That is, you're going to leave everything else. Now, Jesus isn't here like he was with the disciples, so do we need to leave our jobs? Do we need to leave our homes as those disciples did? The answer is no. But what Jesus is saying to us in our day is that he becomes the priority over everything else. Our job, our earthly relationships, our pursuits, our dreams, all of that. We leave them as they left the nets on the seashore and they followed Jesus. Now, what did it mean then that they were gonna follow this rabbi? They would sit under his teaching and they would live life with him until their lives and the life of their rabbi or teacher were so indistinguishable that you would say you are a follower of Jesus's. So to be a follower of Jesus is to sit under Jesus's teaching and to live following his model, talking as he talks. Interacting with people as he interacts with people. Addressing issues and struggles as he would address sins and struggles. And you go about watching him model how to live life. And you do that until people would say of you, like people would say of my relationship with my father, you're a chip off the old block. You sound like him. You act like him. You talk like him. You respond like him. You are just like him. That's why I think it's just a wonderful picture that when the Christians in the book of Acts, they were called the Nazarenes. They were just like that Nazarene rabbi. They talked like him. They did what he did. They were just like him. So let me tell you to a people that are enslaved, are you following Jesus? Now, what you will do is you will do what I do, and that is you'll go back, and you'll go back way back into history and say, yeah, I did that back when I was a little kid. I did that in 1984. I did it after a a young little girl in my Sunday school class said, came to class all excited and said, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I brought Jesus into my heart. And I said, wait a minute. I, I, I know adults talk that way, but now this kid's talking this way. And what's this all about? And I remember being really, really anxious all the way home because I wanted to ask my dad. And, and so I got some alone time with my dad. I said, dad, this girl said this, and I, I don't know what to make of this. And my dad very clearly and passionately shared with me the gospel. And he said that, in Christ, I, I will find what my longing heart was looking for. And I didn't understand all that the longings of the human heart would mean. I was seven years old. But I saw what my dad said. I knew that's what my dad believed. I knew that's what my mom believed. 
And so that was good enough for me. I was gonna put my faith and trust and I knelt down at that bed and I prayed and I asked for forgiveness and, and I was so thankful to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. But listen to me, friends, if you have to hearken back to you being a little kid, getting on your knees and saying some words, you will not find freedom today. And so what freedom is to, is you getting up every day, just as a seven-year-old version of Tim did, that today at 45 years of age, I get up every morning and I say, God, forgive me, God, cleanse me, God, lead me, God, guide me, God, help me, God, free me. And each and every day, even though I fail and I stumble and I find myself all the time wandering from that truth, that God's presence and freedom continues to be made available for me. The first step to freedom is making Christ your savior. Have you done that? And I don't mean just uttering some words, I mean truly making it your priority to follow Jesus. Jesus said this in another passage, if any of you wants to come after me, he should deny himself and take up his cross Are you doing that? Is that part and parcel to your existence and relationship with Jesus Christ? You will never experience true and lasting freedom until you follow Christ as Savior. So you say, Tim, okay, in all honesty, I've done that and I'm still in bondage. Yep, you're right. You could still be in bondage. So let's talk about what's the next thing. It involves fighting against the devil's schemes. So midway into this passage, there's all these things going on, bantering taking place, Abraham's getting brought up, uh, being in bondage or not in bondage is there. And Jesus, all of a sudden, in verse 44 says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning It has nothing to do with the truth. Wait a minute, do you notice the dichotomy there? Jesus says, I'm the truth. The devil has nothing to do with the truth. So Jesus is trying to explain something to us because there is no truth in him. You should underline that. You should be reminded of that. There's no truth in the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He can't He can't do anything but lie. That's his character. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Three times we are told where the devil has power. A couple weeks ago I was teaching my theology class here on Sunday nights. And the subject matter, we're talking about the attributes of God. And we're talking about how God is omniscient and omnipresent and and omnipotent. And, And it came up, well, what about the devil? Well, the devil's none of those things. The devil doesn't know all things, the devil isn't all powerful, and the devil can't be any, everywhere at, at any time at all places. He, he can't be omnipresent. But there's a great many, as I learned in that class, that have fallen, and, and sadly, probably from some pretty good pulpits, to believe things about the devil that just aren't true. And I want to bring you freedom because I think there are a great many people who think the reason why their lives stink is because the devil did it. And the devil didn't do it. Listen to me. The devil didn't do it. What the devil did is he sold you a bill of goods. 
He lied. The devil is a liar. And I'm going to show you here in the next couple of moments how the devil uses lies to get you to do things that put you in bondage. So let's talk about some of these things. Let's talk about financial bondage. The devil can't steal your money. The devil can't go in and hack into your electronic banking. He, he can't do it. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the permission to go. He cannot take your money. You should never worry and go in and, okay, my password, boom, 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 boom. Wait a minute, money's missing. It's the devil, okay? The devil can't do it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he has that kind of power. So the devil knows that, friends, So what the devil does is says, I can't take their money single-handedly. I can't be the first cause to take something from them. But you know what I can do? I can tell lies. I can tell them about an invisible family called the Joneses. And I can tell them that they're falling behind the Joneses. That the Joneses have nicer houses, the Joneses have nicer cars, the Joneses have better kids. I, I, I can do everything. I can build this case about the Joneses and my lies. And I can use advertisements, I can use all things in this world, and he does. He is a broadcaster of lies. I can start to broadcast that maybe it's not the Joneses, but I can start broadcasting to people that if they don't have that certain possession, then they'll never be happy. And you know what we do? We start giving the devil our money. And we start putting ourselves into bondage. You see what the devil does is the devil tells us a lie and this is what we do to, because of that lie. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We buy the lie. Devil can't take your money, friends, but he can lie to you and you'll give him your money. And when you have no money and you can't provide for your family and you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you cannot say, the devil did it to me, all you can say is, I bought into lies and I want to be set free. Let's keep going. How about emotional bondage? The devil tells us that God isn't for us. And even if God is for us, the problems and the circumstances of our life are bigger than he can handle. And so he isn't the God that he says he is because he can't deal with what makes me anxious or what makes me depressed. And so I've got to figure it out on my own. And we were never created to figure these things out on our own. So a tidal wave of anxiety and depression rob us of our peace and joy. And they rise to a fever pitch where we can't find any kind of freedom. And the devil, listen to me, the devil can't mess with your emotions, but he can tell you lies and you can start believing the lies. And when you do, you can start thinking things about yourself that will make it destructive to your ability to have peace and joy. And so you're in bondage. Let's keep going. What about uh, sexually? The devil lies. The devil says monogamy is boring. To be involved in a fruitful sexual relationship with a spouse, as God has prescribed in Scripture, that is old-fashioned. So the devil says, and we see it all over the airwaves, we see it on our phones, and what it says is have lots of partners. 
Have it when you want it, when you want it, how you want it. There is zero boundaries, the devil says, about sex. There is free sex to be had. And even those that are in relationships, you're not getting enough sex. And so the devil says, well, don't look to your spouse for your sexual needs. Go to the internet. There's all manner of stuff you can look at there. And the devil says, this is all great. And you go there and you buy the lie. And you find yourself in bed with someone else. You find yourself looking at other things. And that's all great until those past relationships ruin your now present marriage. Where sexual transmitted diseases has impacted your health. Where running into past loves and past relationships now bring you great shame. Did the devil throw you into the arms of that other person? Did the devil force you to have that affair? Did the devil force you to go to those websites? The answer is no. The devil doesn't have that power, but he can get you to believe a lie. And we're falling for this lie, church, over and over and over again. And we point, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. The devil isn't powerful like God is. God can make us do things if he would like. The devil can't. All the devil can do is set the trap. And he does. And listen to me, church. Because we're slaves of sin, we fall for it every single time. Let me add one more because it's in the text, religion. Religion is the greatest lie, I think, that the devil tells. Because it takes good people. It takes clean people, if you will. I'll put clean in in quotations, and it makes them think that they're saved. Come to church, get baptized, give to the church. You, 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 you do all of the list of do's and don'ts. You, you've got it locked in. If you, if you do that, you're, you're good, you're clean. These people, wait a minute. The Pharisees said we're descendants of Abraham, check one. Uh, we're a part of the nation of Israel, check two. We're followers of the law of Moses, check three. We're good, we're not slaves to sin. And Jesus says, You are slaves. You are in bondage. But the lie that the devil tells about religion, listen to me, there are people in churches today, and maybe you're here today following that lie. Listen, I'm doing what my mom and dad did. They were faithful people, and and if they can do it, I can do it. And I'm not really here because of a relationship. I'm here because I want to check it off my list. You have bought into a lie. Religion, listen to me, will never save you and give you freedom. So can I just say this without being too simplistic or naive? I think the majority of our heartache, pain, and suffering that we experience in this life comes from us falling for the lies of the devil. And if you really, and you can beat me up and say, no, Tim, you don't understand. I'm, I'm a victim of my circumstances. And, and that's fine. You, you and God, you can figure that out. And I am not omniscient. But I'm going to come and tell you that as I look at my heartache in my life, I can go back and I can get a a straight line, not a dotted line, not a squiggly line, a straight line to a lie that I bought from the devil and chose with my own volition to follow him instead of the truth of the living God. And I'm going to tell you in those arenas and so many more, if we would just hearken back to that initial lie, we would see that we are being sold a bill of goods. So what do we do? How do we find freedom? Tim, you've made me feel very free at all right now, right? Where do we find it? Freedom is found in faithfully living out the scriptures. We follow Jesus as our savior. We fight the schemes of the devil. And we faithfully live out the scriptures. What's the antidote? It's in verse 31. If you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stop there. So notice, connect these dots that if we abide in his word, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. There are two things that come to faithfully living out the scriptures, and I'll close. I know my time is short, but let me close with these two things. You need to, first of all, know the scriptures. Write that down. I need to know the scriptures, and I need to, second, keep the scriptures. Know the word, keep the word. Know the word, keep the word. So let's talk about know the word. There is a truth. You will know the truth. There is a truth to be known. There is a truth to be grasped. There is a truth to be collected. There is a truth to be held on to. That truth is the truth of God's word. Now, we need to know that word, the living and active word of God. We need to know it. Why do we need to know it? Because the devil's out telling lies. And so let's work through some of those things. Young lady, you're out there right now and the devil's whispering in your ear, you're ugly. You mean nothing. Nobody cares about you. You're not gonna make anything of yourself and it's because you've got this flaw, this thing you see in the mirror all the time and your body is screaming. Your body's screaming, I'm terrible, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm nothing and you've bought into the lie, young lady, but if you would just Know the word, you would be set free. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a daughter of the most high God. You are the apple of his eye. He has great and marvelous plans for you. He says to you, even if you don't think you're pretty, he says, listen, beauty is fleeting, but the character of a young woman, that is greater than rubies and gold. You see what happens, my friends, when we take the truth of God's word and we apply it to it, all we are doing is what Jesus did. It is written, it is written, it is written when the temptations and lies of the devil come. So man, you say, man, my body is telling me I need to lust. My body's telling me I need to release. My body's telling me all of these things. The Bible tells us, man, don't throw fire into your lap. You will get burned. Don't fall to the cravings of the sinful nature. Put those things off and put on Christ. Stop going to those things. You don't need to be there. That is not where you're gonna find your fill. That a man of God who is pleasing to God is a man who follows every dictate and precept of God's word. Do you see what happens? I'll tell you what, you start applying that truth over the lie and you won't fall to sin. How about financially? And I could go on for forever, but... We've got things to do, so let's just move on really quickly to this, financially. It's all about making money, the world says. And so accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And when something gets out of, uh, out of, uh, out of place in our world, we've got to fix it up. We have to renovate. And, and I'm not saying that those things are all inherently bad, but if we're driven by those things then money becomes our God. And what does the scripture say? Don't store up, for, don't store up treasures here on earth where rust and moth, moth destroy, but seek first the kingdom of God, applying the promises of scripture to it. I can't do anything with the lies until I know the word. 
And if you don't know the word, listen to me. If you cannot, just as, as I did, and I want to just keep getting better at this, and it's taken a lifetime to do so, if you cannot off the cuff come up with answers to the devil's lies, you will not find freedom. How does a young man keep his way pure? By meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Know the word. And second, keep it. Keep it. That means do it. What good is it to know it and then run away from it? We've got to keep the word. And I love what Jesus says here. He says the one who keeps the word. Let me find where I'm at in my notes here. Verse 51. He says the following. He says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What's he talking about? He'll never see death. You won't understand what Jesus is saying unless you connect what he's saying to what he said about the devil. You will never see death. Well, why might you see death? Because we are told of the devil he was a murderer from the beginning. And so you want to keep the devil's murderous hands off of your life? You want to keep the devil's murderous uh, touch on the things that you hold dear? Then keep the word of God. Do the word of God and listen to me. Do the word of God and the devil won't be able to touch you. That's why the Bible says if we stand firm when it comes to the devil, he has to what? Flee from us. Church, we have an opportunity to experience freedom. But we've got to align and position ourselves to be with our Lord. We need to follow him. We need to fight against the devil's schemes and we need to faithfully live out the scriptures. Know it and keep it. And when we do, my friends, we will be free indeed. And whom the Son has set free, he'll be free. I want you to be free. And even greater than that, God wants you to be free. Will you give your life to him so that you can experience that freedom now and forevermore? Amen.